Hot takes. Hot takes. Hot takes. Whoa. Hot takes, everybody. Hot takes in here. Hot takes. Hot takes. Django, you think that Kurt Cobain was murdered, didn't commit suicide? Is that what I'm hearing? Hot I think, takes. I think that Kurt Cobain probably didn't kill himself. Listen, if you're here, you know what this is. You know why you're here. You're here for hot takes can't find about a better man. 90s pop culture. <laughs> I think Eddie Vedder killed Kurt Cobain because he was Tom. threatened by a sort of uh, comparable grunge force in the Seattle era in the 90s. Yeah, I think I w- Bob Dylan dressed up as Eric Clapton. Got and gr- pushed his own son out the window? <laughs> oh, my oh, God. <laughs> No, then... And Tears in Heaven is some weird ripple in reality that Bob Dylan... Bob Dylan wrote Tears in Heaven he because did. he killed Eric Clapton's son. Hot take. Just I, like, hey, Jude, you know, where Paul know McCartney killed John Lennon dressed up as the guy who thought he was John Lennon and wrote a song for his son because he eventually felt bad because he broke up the Beatles because he paid Yoko Ono to go in there as a mole to give him an excuse to kill John Lennon. I don't know enough about the Beatles. I'll say. So I just told you the whole <laughs> the whole thing. The secret origin Can of the Beatles. Can someone know so enough I about the Beatles? Podcast episode one hundred and yeah, um, uh, where every Tuesday, except for the last two, we get a bunch of comic books, sort them, count them, love them, uh, file them away, go home, read them real excitedly, come back to this comic shop, and then we hang out in our new Batcave subterranean podcast <laughs> studio. The Quipoth. Someone's got to clean up the guano in here before we start mm-hmm. recording. I can't I have... like the smell, though. Yeah. It gets me high. Uh, and we engage <laughs> a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the store that we work at, the comics that we love, or the comings and goings of our life. I'm Jeff, and I don't really know if I remember how to do this. I'm Django, and I remember that we remembered how to do this. I remember that we did show up to do it this time. We've done podcasts before. Yeah. A hundred and of them. Yeah. A hundred and teens. Guano's another name for bat poop, you said? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Justin, and I thought that was tapioca pudding. Oh, you've been eating the wrong <laughs> tapioca pudding. Ace Ventura 2? <coughs> Call of the Wild or When Nature Calls or whatever? You know, probably. It's When Nature Calls. Yeah. My parents always told me that was tapioca pudding. pudding. Uh, I was I was thinking it was a missed opportunity to not do a Jack London novel reference, Call of oh. the Wild. Oh, God. That's right. That's Ace great. Ventura was is way more Jack London than uh, P jokes. Although, is Jack London that author? I don't know. Jack London was pretty into P jokes. <laughs> yeah. He Watch made a book called The Call of the Wild. Go, yeah. Don't you eat that yellow snow? That took was us Jack what? London, right? Took us what? Yeah. Like a minute of recording before fuck cakes over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was doing. He was. He was priming his jowls. Yeah, I know. Hey, Justin, how far into the alphabet one can you make Justin, not Django? I, I tried to teach him today. Alioken, bottle, that's all I can do. <laughs> Aviating, bobbleating. Calibrating. Fuck. Crashivating. 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 No. Oh, no yeah, obviously fucking crashivating. <laughs> Uh, we've got a slew of really exciting things to talk to you all about this week. Dance-a-Payton. Dance-a-Payton. <laughs> there's that the, hump. This is the first normal-sized <laughs> week of comic books that there's been in, like, three weeks. We could say that that's why we haven't recorded a it's podcast. It's still a little light, though. still a little bit light. In yeah. Terms of, yeah. Still, still a Looks little like bit comics light. are trying to lose weight for their uh, New Year's resolution, guys. Yeah. Light week's just, you know, like a veggie sub. 
There's only like two or three ones out this week, I think. Yeah, usually we can get one, 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 one into a podcast, Easy. but not this week. Django tracks the ones. Ever he since does. I've known him, he like he, there can be no number ones, and he'll be like, no number ones this week, or is there a number one this week? I swore there was a number. You, I, that's a thing that no one is under the the sort of magical, watchful gaze of a number one Django <laughs> yeah. bore and sort of nursing at the potential teat that is a number one issue. Django Boren. It might be really good. That's you, yeah, I mean, I know. I, I love a movie trailer, you know? This week we're going to be talking about a handful of books, a sort of blood slurry of books, as it were. I'm going to make up the order right now. Detective Comics, number 995. Ooh. Heroes in Crisis, number four. Whoa. Conan O'Brien, number one. <laughs> uh, Action Comics, 1006. Wolverine, Call of the Wild, The Long Night, number one. Yellow Snow. And Marvel Knights, number five. Unnatural? Number six? Yeah. That's what we're going to talk about. That's a big old that's a big old help in a comic book for y'all. You just shoved my buckshot in the main boat. Well, listen, if nobody else gets to buckshot, you just have to live in this main boat with us. Detective Comics 995. Has everybody seen that issue cover for Heroes in Crisis number seven that came out uh, like a week before previews and then Tom King got upset because it was the wrong color and it's like Poison Ivy lying there dead and she's painted a red Z onto the ground? It is Poison Ivy? It is. And what was the wrong color? I think the green hue. I don't know why. I didn't look too much into it because I didn't want to be spoiled. Either way, this cover has Alfred lying on the ground with a, a bloody Z being painted. Wow, I didn't notice that. I really like it. S- spoilers, but everybody... But that Z is probably a reference to Zorro. Mm-hmm. Zorro, 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 I thought it was, I thought it was amazing Zorro. they brought Antonio Banderas into a comic book. Still a lot of sex appeal. Okay, so this issue picks up from the from the last one where Dr. Leslie Tompkins get, got poisoned by Joker Toxin. Um, which I thought was really cool. What surprised me, did we talk about spoilers? Spoiler warnings, everybody. We're going to spoil some books. So we told you about all the ones that we're going to talk about. Come back. Listen to this after you've read your books. We want everybody to be able to listen to the podcast, but also uh, feel good about reading their books and not having things spoiled. So uh, there's going to be spoilers, spoiler warning, spilled milk. Leslie Tompkins dies of Joker Toxin. And, and Batman cries. It's probably going to hit you pretty hard if you know who Leslie Tompkins is. I do. I do. I almost cried. I was surprised they killed her. I was, I was like, what too. What the fuck? I mean, I think they've killed her. No, they made her bad for a while, right? She like Did they? like in in war crimes, she yeah. leaked Batman's identity to people cuz she was looking for the Joker. <laughs> I don't know, some bad <laughs> oh, guy, some okay. bad I was happened. like, really? But she's been kind of like Batman's Alfred on the streets for sure. For years. Yep. Um like I think she probably she saved his life quite a bit. Where did she start? Was it in year one even? Yeah, I think so. I think she might have been in year one and, and just kind of stuck around from there. Um, she may even be older than that. But she dies in this one. Batman's super sad. I was super sad. I was shocked. Alfred's super sad. And then somebody comes to the door dressed as Zorro and stabs Alfred in the That part chest. was so fucking cool. But the my but favorite up as well. part of the issue from a writing and comic standpoint was that Batman was mourning the death of Leslie Tompkins? Um, Dr. And Leslie Tompkins. Dr. what? Dr. Dr. Leslie Tompkins. <laughs> and as he's mourning it, you you hear ding, 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 ding as sounds in the back and it goes for several panels and then he's like, oh shit, and he just goes sprinting and it's because Alfred got stabbed by this sword. I just loved that sound becoming present and then him acknowledging it understanding what it means like Alfred's in another room and this ding is happening and that's the bell from when I became Batman mm-hmm. and he's in the same room in like leaning up against the same chair yeah right mm. and yeah and when Batman shows up Alfred gives him some shit for taking so long which I thought was really cool yeah 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 it's like someone knows so much about Bruce that he's orchestrating all the little things to to strike a, a a pinpoint for him, and Zorro being the thing, like the play that he went and saw as a kid the night his parents died, is pretty crazy. Anybody got any theories on who it is that's mucking up this stuff? Doctor Leslie Tompkins? I don't know. 
Do you think it's Dr. Leslie Tompkins? No, That's I really for don't. The Joker again? Yeah, working for maybe the Joker. <laughs> I, I, really, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping it's a new character. Or I like the the Zorro thing. It is almost too close to Doctor Hurt to be Doctor mm. Hurt. You know, because well, it's got a similar shtick. What if it's Hush? It's not Hush. I hope it's not. I would hush. be bummed if it was Hush, but yeah, we haven't easy. seen Hush in a while. I do like it. Hush, could have been Hush. Like if if the Hush story hadn't been done a couple times, this would be a perfect thing for Hush to do for sure. We've got the Joker serum, though. We did see in the last issue some big hulking, scary monster that when hurt released a Joker toxin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So someone someone's got some skills, you know. He's 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 a big. They are a big. They can make monsters. They know a lot about Batman. You know, is a it, lot. About is it going to be something from Tomasi's run that we we haven't seen in a long time? What? So Tomasi wrote Batman and Robin in the New Fifty Two. Mm-hmm. When else did Tomasi write Batman? God, nothing yeah. I can think of. Okay, so is that his only run? I think so. It lasted a long time. Braden, Braden brought up an interesting point, which is that he and I both, and 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 Justin as well, really like. Uh, Tomasi, but as I was talking to Braden, he was like, yeah, he also has this sort of tendency to just kind of get real boring at some He drops point. the ball. He, like, starts and maintains, like, half of a run really well. Mm-hmm. And then Braden was like, yeah, he's not going to take his kid on, like, a road trip of America at some point. And I was <laughs> like, well played. Yeah, but that Superman story got better after that, too. Uh, it just had some real downs. Yeah. To me, this has been the most solid, like, it's Tomasi on yeah, all hyped up on Joker juice. Like he, he it's more exciting than he <clears throat> normally usually is. Like he's doing some ballsier, more high octane kind of stuff. It feels like Tomasi filtered through James Robinson to me, and I know maybe I'm saying that because James Robinson just got off the book, but like Robinson does some interesting kind of whodunit stuff every once in a while, and this the setup for the mystery here, like who killed these people who look who who. They dressed up to look just like Bruce Wayne's parents. At the end here, we've got awesome. Batman going into Arkham, and I love, I love going into Arkham and seeing all the bad guys Me and too. stuff. I remember even like the Joel Schumacher Batman movies when like they're in Arkham, you see the old costumes from people, and I was like, mm-hmm. that's so fucking cool. We got him walking down this big green hallway with all these open like sealed glass doors, and it's got his whole rogues gallery in there banging at it. He comes down here real angry, like. I love a chatty Batman. Like, we have such a quiet Batman in Tom King's run as yeah. far as, like, when he's Batman, it's a lot of scowls. Like, he doesn't use a lot of Batman dialogue. I feel like in in most, at least recently, he's not out there chatting and he's talking a little shit in this. And I really liked Batman's voice in this. I He was intimidating. and He has a great voice for Batman. Yeah. and I, He's threatening. I also would say that I really like the dynamic that he set up in his Batman and Robin run between Bruce and Damien. Mm-hmm. It, I think he's the only person to write Damien besides Grant Morrison in a way that illustrated that character's heart, except for the Damien bit in the new talent showcase a couple weeks ago. There was a really good little Damien Catwoman story. Um, but who's he going to beat up in Arkham now? Like, what's he... He's a, ex- I, I, I think he's going to beat them all up. Yeah, I think he's just going to ex- like question the shit out of them and punish them. I want you all to think of this place like a carnival funhouse tonight. Except the only monster in here with you Click. is me. He turned off the lights. Nice foley. Thanks. I'm a foley guy. I learned that word from you. I would also say the other really <clears throat> high point of this issue is that there's only one ad in the issue, and it's the double-page Snickers ad. And then the whole final... Ten pages of the book are ads that that are basically for other DC books. They're just basically well, they're they're for all those books that uh, Bendis is kind of doing, right? The Young Justice Wonder Comics and Mark Russell and uh, Sam Humphreys. You know what? I think DC should take that Snickers ad out, please, and give us fourteen pages of ads in the back. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even care what it's for. What about that Deadly Class ad on the back page? Throw that in there. Sure, sure. I liked it. I watched that episode. It's good. Deadly Class. Everyone should check it out. So that's uh, Batman Detective Comics 995 by Tomasi and Monkey, Mendoza and Baron. What do you, what do you, uh, I'm going to give this one a nine and a half. This is one of, one of my favorite comics that I've read. I give it uh, 8.5. Super solid Batman book. Um, Just like Justin said, I think it captures a really perfect Batman tone to to act as a counterpoint to the Batman we're getting in Tom King's run. 8.5. I, 
it's a perfectly perfect. It's a really good Batman book. It's got some caperiness. It's got um, capers bullies. are just a little too fishy or pickled for me. Oh yeah, I I see. I like them on a on a like a muffaletto. Yeah. Like a Batman. Don't like put you, it in my tuna. Yeah. No. Hey, listen, I know what you're all thinking, and no, we didn't take two weeks off because of Batman Damage number two. Um, that book <laughs> didn't didn't kill our spirits. It's just, we went two years without missing a podcast, so we decided that we would take a week off, and then we did inventory instead of recording a podcast the next week. And you know, next time, maybe we'll, maybe we'll warn you. Maybe we'll preload a year-end review or life got to uh, december life got yeah. to december um hey django yeah so what did you do with all of your spare time that i must have imagined you had outside of the shop since you didn't record a podcast all the spare time i had outside of the shop well mostly i went back into the shop <laughs> last time that we were like the last point that we maybe would have recorded a podcast i spent 29 hours in the store with a short break to walk to the library and maybe buy some comics. Um, I remember that day. I really haven't done... It's really just been store town yeah. for me. Uh, and I... Other than being so tired, I think I was saying made up words to Justin at one point and yeah, fell asleep face up on the floor one night. He did do that. Um, I've only been tired. Like, I haven't been grumpy about it. Yeah, no, you haven't been grumpy. I've been around you a lot of it. Uh, you haven't been grumpy. Yeah. He takes his grump in pretty good stride, I would say. For sure, you're not an easily grumpable guy, though. I've seen you grumpy. And oh, I expected like a, like a twinge of you know grumpy, what though? but he doesn't really turn it on people very, very readily. No. No. no, if they deserve it, they can they can have it. And every once in a while, I got some wolf tickets, and anybody can have oh, one yeah. of those. Oh yeah, yeah, but anybody. Yeah, but I don't know. It's controlled. If That's... I'm grumpy, everyone generally gets a part of the wolf My ticket. My best friends are yeah. <laughs> are gonna feel bad yeah. about being around me. Just been doing comic store things. Yeah, we've just been doing comic store things. We uh, we spent a couple real, real late nights here doing stuff. And then every night, uh, one of us or all of us would go home, and then Django would spend two more hours here. <laughs> yeah. Nice work, bud. You inventoried everything. We all inventoried everything. You yeah, managed yeah. to get through another, like, you know, six hours of Jeff and Justin doing character bits for everybody. Everybody oh, I, except for a couple people. I, yeah. <laughs> I went upstairs. I hid for those. <laughs> we got we got some good character bits out. Some new, some, good, some of my favorites. Some, some we good, really refined those some, two ladies we break into. Yeah, Heroes in Crisis number four by Tom King, Clay Mann, and Tomu Mori on colors. Speaking of driblets, who's on Flash? Oh, Harley's on Flash on the cover. That's a real bad cover for such a great issue. Yeah, uh, it's not artists that are associated with the series at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Trevor Hairsign and Rain Burrito did the cover. Burrito? Yeah, like the food. No, he spells it different. Or um, maybe I've spelled burrito wrong this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite issue of this series so far, everybody. I'm throwing that down on the table right now. Really? Yep. What made it your favorite? A lot of stuff made it my favorite. Um Last issue, there was some fill-in art. I'm not sure if the second one also had that. This one did not have any fill-in art. I don't think that I've been this genuinely um, not tastelessly aroused by a comic in <laughs> in a long, long time. But between uh, the Lois Lane page, the Batgirl page, I was... Clayman draws beautiful, beautiful people. Like Clark with yeah, his look, shirt off yeah. is still super, super hot. I, th- I don't think it seems super, like, sexualizing women. It's, it's just... It, it, he draws superheroes... Like, I guess I want my superheroes to look, which is sort of like Greek gods. Booster gold is gorgeous. Yeah. gold yeah. So the art itself was really, really fantastic. I really liked the mystery here. I love what he gives you and what he doesn't give you. It was on my second read through of this issue that I really started to pick up what I was loving so much about it. Um, his His writing, I don't think anybody does pregnant pauses in comics better than Tom King. So whether it's just silent panels, I think he does that better than anybody. But if you were to compare Detective Comics this week with this book, when Leslie Tompkins is dying with all the dot, dot, dots, there's a lot of broken sentences. Mm -hmm. When you compare that to, for example, the Batgirl-Harley sequence here, it is a very different usage of ellipses. Um... 
like when Batgirl's trying to talk to Harley and, and she says, they, dot, 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 you don't know how good you are or could be. Like, to say that, like, they, because this it's, it's a conversation sort of centered around how Batman views Batgirl and Harley. Bat, Batgirl shows up to find Harley before Batman does because Batman and all the, everyone's on the hunt for, you know, Booster and Harley particularly because they're the main suspects in this murder case in Sanctuary. But Batgirl wants to find Harley because she says that he'll see you the same way he sees me, as pitiful and broken. Just another product of his failure to cap- capture the stupid Joker. Another scared, scarred girl on his conscience. I think that that's, that statement alone says so, so much about the role of females in comics in the past. And mm-hmm. it doesn't do it in a, a condemning way, but it does it in a way that builds the mythos of not only both those female characters, but Batman himself and adds this complexity to his relationship with women. And I think that that is brilliant. And then to then like further that sentiment with they, to say they don't know how good you could be, but to really, to have her stutter a statement and say, you don't know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's to me, again, this comic and this writer really understanding therapy and really understanding what people need to hear. And people, I don't, I I personally don't think it helps a lot to, when you're focusing on your problems, think about how others view you. I mean, that does help and and that's a thing, but right here, right now, the problem is her viewing of herself. So to make that correction is a really, really nuanced statement. Uh, I I also really love that whole sequence because we've got Harley and Batgirl fighting in this scene. And I really think there's something going on with the mirrors there. And I think it alludes to uh-huh. like misdirection and alludes to confusion. It alludes to things being perceived different ways. I like the interplay of their hands. Yeah. When, and, like they kind of reach a stalemate and they're, in, they're talking instead of punching. And they go from like holding uh, – Batgirl holding Harley's fist to kind of holding hands over the course of like 18 or 20 panels. And I thought that they were all different panels at first, but it's actually – six different panels but each one is duplicated like four times because it's mirrors it's in the mirrors so like that's even better and then when the images like break down there's these broken mirrors but also people they're they're not lining up in a way that shows reflection like harley's leaning into batgirl here and then behind batgirl it's harley's butt which like that's not how that mirror would work so it still sort of pushes this feeling that you don't really have your feet on the ground in terms of understanding the perceptions uh, of what's going on there I really love the dialogue between Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. I've never really seen those guys interacting before. I you love that have idea to of read them. bros before heroes is just it's like so good. it's so good. Those two are like, you know how like Superman and Batman are everybody's favorite buddies in comics? Yeah. It's blue and gold. I, I they are they are the best just kind of it it they are Jeff and Justin oh. playing pranks on everybody. Well, and then it's so good. And then the moment of like Blue Beetle talking about like in Sanctuary, him sort of decompressing and just talking about like the way that he deals with stuff is he has a friend and it's Booster and he's mostly overlooked. But when he's having a hard time, like he calls Booster and he always picks up. The bit in the Batcave uh, where Wonder Woman knocks the coin over, and <laughs> Batman just says, "You couldn't have helped with that." And he yeah. says, there's something else. <laughs> I'll hide the dinosaur. Uh-huh. Like, oh, God. I know it's a thing that people are hot and cold on this book, but I am so hot on it. I, I like it a whole lot. I Flipping through it the second time, I feel like the art is a little bit leery and not, I don't know. There, there are a couple pages where you're like, that's a sexy person. And then there are a few pages that just feel a little bit, a little bit leery to me. What's leery mean? Like a little bit creepy. There's just angles and butts and butts and butts. There's a lot of butts. There's a there's lot, lot of butts. butts. And to be fair, it's not just girl butts. No, there's like, boy butts. Booster's butt? That's a good butt on that boy. But it it just it, It's sexy. It, it's it's a little bit sexier than I think I would go for in this particular book. And I don't, I don't know if that's part of the the commentary or not. Um, I don't. I don't. Or if that's just how Clayman draws it. Um, I think it might be how he draws it. But I, I am not super familiar with his work before his Batman run. This kind of like that kind of makes it something that I would 
have to think a little bit harder to recommend to some people. Yeah. Um, I almost think it's intentional because if you look at the female characters in, I don't know, the girls talking in the therapy thing, I think this is this whole book is a meditation on men treating women in a certain way. Yeah, and, and I, I hope that it turns out that that's part of the the murder yeah. thing. And I, and to speak to that, particularly with the women in their time in the sort of decompression chamber of sanctuary here, it made me start questioning, like, who is talking to them? And is it us? Like, are we the people? Are we the villains? Like, are mm-hmm. like who is t- who are they talking to? I know it's the computers of Sanctuary, but also, is Who's it a weird sort of breaking the fourth wall thing here? Like, what is the resolution of this mystery going to be? Because I love the layers of contradiction in all of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just like Donna talking about Troy and kind of how her name is lost within that myth like that's the only like the eradication of her identity just because of her name and then um, you see Barbara essentially going uh, talking about the killing joke and then you see Black Canary talking about um, nothing she just gets up but Roman thinks it was a reference to the time in that really gritty comic where she was raped Um, what was that Right when they moved to Seattle, apparently. Huh. They, they, yeah. Um, and then then okay. you see Harley and um, well, her Barbara. S- her statement to Harley about just saying being broken women. Yeah. The, yeah, what I'm trying to get at is like then they're having a, a moment of essentially what men do to women and being forgotten and used in, in that. I think it's, it's a commentary on – I think the whole thing is a meditation on women in comics. Potentially, um, this issue is maybe not the whole thing because you you do see Booster. Um, no, and I and I agree with you. Uh, I would give this comic book a ten. I I like seeing Batman getting pissed at Superman. I have never been bored in this book. I've never not felt confidence for Tom King and what he's doing. But there was a part of me of like, okay, where is he leading us? Because not a whole lot on like a plot point story beat level has happened since the initial murder. We're getting kind of ambient context, but there hasn't been the next stage in the story yet, and we're four issues in out of nine. Yeah, and it was originally, I think, seven? Yeah, so I was Mm. like, where... Not not that I've ever been like, oh, come on, wrap it up, or where is this going? I'm not confident in it, but I was like, there seems like there needs to be more, and that leaking thing, I think, is you can start to see that there's actual repercussions and it is heading in a direction rather than just having moments to kind of give Tom King conversation pieces, which is what I think he knows he shines at the best yeah. and what he and absolutely shines silent at. Silent moments. I love a true mystery, and I'm not saying this from the standpoint of, like, oh, I get all comics, but there's a very few time where I have no, absolutely no idea where a story is going. And there are a lot of times where I've been completely surprised. Almost every comic mystery in a comic, I won't know exactly where it goes, but I'm just not interested by the time we get there. Yeah. And this has kept me interested in every step of the and has the bread. Every breadcrumb has tasted kept good. Changing my perception of what's going on with each issue. For sure. It's subtle. The end. <laughs> what do you give it? <laughs> I give it a nine. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Very little to complain about in this comic. Maybe even nothing to really complain about. Uh, you you could almost take any conversation in this book and put it as its own story. You don't need everything else going on to have Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman argue in the Batcave for for six pages, and that that scene of uh, Bruce and Flash definitely not solving the mystery together <laughs> like that. that could be that could just be a one page cartoon at the end of any dc comic and it well, would we be both great. know what happened we've got all the clues mm-hmm. yep and we both know that it's harley Har- booster <laughs> yeah. silent panel yeah <laughs> fuck i, I love that because they're both detectives too like right. they both have completely different interpretations of and biases as well. It's uh, steak in a good way because steak is very good. You know who else likes steak? Yeah, on the topic of steak <laughs> and beef, Jason Aaron <laughs> and Muhammad Asrar did Conan the Barbarian number one. This is Jeff. You didn't give Heroes in Crisis a score, did I you? I did. I said ten. Oh, yeah. oh, a subtle ten. 
This Conan the Barbarian is a goddamn Conan Conan. <laughs> this is a goddamn steak book. Yeah. This is, this steak is, hey, do you want ass. any Worcestershire on that? No, and you cooked it too much. Okay, yep. how many issues Could of Conan have you read before? Uh, this is the first one. What about you, Justin? Uh, have, you, have you ever read a Conan book? I've been told. I have friends that read a lot of Conan. Okay. And so I, I have, like, a general awareness of what Conan does, but I don't think I've ever read one. Well, it's hard to be in the world of Conan and not... Like, in, in the world of comics and not at least know something about Conan, right? To want the taste of blood. Yeah. Like yeah, Conan that. do. Yeah. But I've never read one either. And when I read this, I thought, yep, this is a Conan comic. <laughs> this is exactly what I thought it would be, except twice as long. <laughs> twice as long. It seemed long. There was Prettier. a lot going on. It's three comics. Is it? It's. I mean, I don't know if it's three comics, but it's... It tells the story of him beating somebody in battle, like in a, in a arena, and then it tells the story of him trapped by a witch, and then it tells the story of him winning a battle and getting fucked over by the witch again. So it's like any one of those segments could be turned into a one issue with a cliffhanger. Yeah, it just sounds like phase one, Conan's badass. Phase two, Conan finds the scrawny wizard-like folk. It is gets near, near 40 pages, so it yeah. is almost... It's a three-issue. Yeah, yeah, almost two full issues. I thought it was pretty good. I, I don't really identify with Conan, but, like, the, the early pages where it's... I don't know, man, that, that shot of him being born on the battlefield, that was intense. I thought about what it would have been like to have a baby there. <laughs> God, this snow is cold. <laughs> and, like, what? yeah, how did she get there? Did they come to her? Did she go to them? We got to go to the uh, pregnant woman to have our battle. Yeah. Uh, there was and, just a brawl that broke out like at an ancient midwifery place. <laughs> that song's going to be mine. <laughs> no, it's mine. That's my kid. I will be the doula. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that I feel really similar to you. Uh, once a book reaches like a certain testosterone level, I just check out <laughs> because like I'm a pretty femi boy. I like femi boys. Uh, I like my superheroes to be, like, big and muscular, but I also like them to act the way that, like, Batman and Superman act while looking the way they do in, like, Heroes in Crisis, for example. This is, this is like, a dude who wants to drink, he wants to have sex, and he doesn't really care much about anything else, and he wants to fight. And, um, you know, none of those three things are in my top five life priorities. But so he's so good at all of them. Not you, Conan. Yeah, for sure not me, but I don't know. Just because he's good at him doesn't make me want to read him do these. It reminds me of the people that would have beaten me up in high school or yeah. like junior high. And Yeah, and he's like that in ways that Vin Diesel and The Rock aren't. Yeah, yeah, because they have a charm, like a, a sort of on-the-nose charm. They're kind of winking at you the whole time. So Jason Aaron has a lot of different voices in comics. And I think when he started writing his Thor book, and I mentioned this at different times on the podcast, but he sort of embraced that sort of like metal masculinity thing. And I think in general, he does it in a kind of tongue in cheek way that doesn't yeah. feel like you're a part of the problem. That being said, I don't still care for it that much. Like his Thor book, I read sort of on an arc by arc basis. And I liked the Jane Foster stuff and I really liked the beginning stuff. But when it's just... I, I don't know. So this was way more of that voice of Jason Aaron, which he is very good at. But it's not a thing that I super care to read. Yeah. I I thought this was a very well done comic that didn't appeal to my style. That's how I feel. Yeah. There's not a lot of subtlety to it, but not everything needs to have a lot of subtlety to it. I'll probably read the next one. It depends on how many pages it is. Oh, God, if it's another 40 pages, it better be a slow week. I don't really like, like, machismo, tough guy, brutal stuff. Uh, I can kind of get a chuckle out of it. Like, Headlopper to me sometimes is almost just like, this is kind of dumb action, Beowulf-y stuff. I could, if it's short and sweet, I could do it. Seeing how big that is, it's <laughs> like, I think my chuckle would run out after the first little segment of the fight. Okay, but you bring something interesting up because I love Headlopper. Yeah. And this 
it's not that far from Headlopper. Yeah. And Headlopper is 24 pages longer yeah, than this Headlopper Conan. Headlopper is, like, cuter, and I think it yeah. is, it's really cinematic is kind of its whole thing. Like, sure. It reminds me of Samurai Jack in a way. You have, like, long kind of kung fu movie style cuts. In, I guess in it's, it. it's more about the art than the story. And it yeah. doesn't feel necessarily of this world where Conan feels very, like, grounded, gritty... To me, like I don't really, I don't read Headlopper, but that one to me has a charm to it that this one doesn't necessarily have. I think it's just a different like awareness level. Not that this is unaware, I, and I haven't read it, but I think Headlopper is playing with the genre where this is like let's try to do this yeah. genre. I agree. Uh, and Jason Aaron is one of my favorite writers, oh, so yeah. this is this is a a well done book, like you said for sure. Uh, it also, in a very Jason Aaron way takes an interesting spin on this. This isn't this isn't just like, hey, here's big buff Conan guy. This is he says at the beginning, this is the story of the death of Conan. And that is a very like Jason Aaron when he started Thor. It's sort of like here's young Thor, yep. current Thor, and future Thor. Like he's he sort of uh pulls the lens back and looks in a really longitudinal way. And many years pass over this comic book. And and I, I do like the aspect of taking a, a legacy perspective of Conan. And if you're into, like, big action stuff and, you know, other Conan comics or, you know, Swords and Sorcery, like, this is probably as high of a caliber version of that type of comic as you could get. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's a very well done thing that I haven't historically cared about, but it seems like a top caliber book regardless. Um, I would give this a seven, and I'm going to read you one of my favorite passages from it, and I hope you will do the same. Yes. When you give your number. Um, What sad and feeble gods do you worship where you come from, boy? Whoever they are, you should pray to them now. So my favorite line is uh, actually the line right after that. Um, (laughs) Crom. I'm Conan. It's Crom is my god. Where where was that page? It it was right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right here. Um, so I'll give this one actually a higher score. I'm gonna give it a seven point five. Nice, because I like, I think every aspect of this comic book is well done. It's yeah. just not a genre that I read. I don't really read fantasy, and I don't really. Um, so gather round with me and let me pass up. Let me embark uh, my favorite portion of this story to you. I will follow. Um, Django, would you please read your portion one more time? Yes. Yes. What sad and feeble gods do you worship where you come from, boy? Whoever they are, you should pray to them now. Crom. But Chimerians never pray. And even if we did, Crom wouldn't give a damn. <laughs> Sumerians? Chimerians? I don't know. I think it's Sumerians. Yeah, that's probably right. That's good, though. I like it. Yeah, um, I, I like that bit. Like, it's, it's big stuff like that. It's I'll kinda... read my favorite passage. Yes, please now. do. <clears throat> Gather round as uh, brother Justin. Justin's favorite was Conan the Barbarian number two in two weeks. <laughs> you stole my gang. Say, <laughs> oh, shit. I'm sorry. I saw him looking at the front page. I was like, you chomped his bit. Conan the Barbarian number one <laughs> was going to be my bit. Oh, I ruined it. I thought you had a part. Includes part one of an all new Conan novella. Oh, yeah. That's Did you read weird... that? Oh, I didn't it's, read that. There's a text piece at the end. Two and a half pages of uh, yeah, words. Yeah, well, I, I read of like an almost forty-page comic. So I yeah, was I didn't done. read it either. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the painful silence you get, Django, for stealing my fucking I'm bit. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't think that was going to be your bit. I thought you had something better than what I came up with. <laughs> sorry, I just didn't want all of our listeners to be like, "Oh, Jeff's doing a segue again." So I thought maybe somebody else would segue into Action Comics 1006 by Brian Bendis and Ryan Sook. Well, now we're not gonna. There's no <laughs> knife in this issue. Did you guys see the knife? I was I was hoping to see the knife. Where's From the, the cover? Knife? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see a knife either. But man, you know what I did knife? see? A lot of good goddamn comic. Yeah. A lot of good goddamn comic. Dude, I'm just going to come off the bat and say this right now. Brian Michael Bendis, with this book, is doing the same thing that Heroes in Crisis kind of does and Doomsday Clock definitely does and makes it feel fucking timeless. This book's either from the 1950s or, or the, the 80s. Or the 80s or the 2010s. Like it, it uh, or the 2000 billions. It, <laughs> it, it just feels. I, I totally agree with you. I feel like I'm reading comic book history in the present. 
yeah, this is this is wonderful. I think it's more, it's one of the best comics that's come out in this more year. than for like even for me the story beats I care less about than just the atmosphere. Like being in the comic yep. feels really good. It feels like how I would think a Superman comic read back then. And he's like going deep on the beats. He's like making references to old Superman stuff. And just like Heroes in Crisis, because I, I read. So listen, everybody, I had to get a little car work done today. And I brought a couple <laughs> issues with me to wait for the hour and a half that I had to sit there. And I just brought Action Comics and Heroes in Crisis, which I had already read. So I read them again. And both of those issues have so much hidden in them. Like, so just like you said, like to be in it. Like, down to the first page of these desks at the Daily Planet. This it's a bit, buckshot worth of content. It is so much content, and it's meta content. It's, you There's, know, like, like, spoiler, or, like, uh, previews and leaks and Greg stuff. Rucker writing unauthorized Lois Lane book. Like, what? Young Justice is back? Why? It's him making fun of himself. Commandy lives among us. Graffiti found in Subway. Like, uh, okay, what's that mean? Hal Jordan with a heart around it. The yeah. hottest men in trunks, and I texted you guys a picture of the hottest men in trunks because it had uh, Batman, and I said it was year one, but I don't think it's, that is. It's the no, it's Fornes. for sure. It's the Fornes one. Okay, so I it's, recognize it's the, the Fornes butt. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, that was what made me it's got a big flat second butt. think mm-hmm. that later was that uh, I don't think Batman bends over like that. Well, and then the, also the Martian Manhunter sex scandal. Oh yeah. yeah, which you know, it, it's just so. Bendis from ten years ago. Well, okay, 15 so fifteen years ago even. So what that means is that Bendis is reading Martian Manhunter before it comes out so that he can do that. Well, I mean, I'm sure that he is. They have, much like Marvel does writer summits, I'm sure DC does a similar thing. But I think that Bendis is working very hard to write a really broad and deep book. Like, yeah. yeah. To me, it finally occurred that, like, I personally haven't always been a Bendis fan. I, you know, there were times where I thought I hated him. There are some brand new day books that I I liked with Spider-Man, but DC getting him and then making these big ads that Bendis is coming, I felt like any book that Bendis was going to do was just going to fly on the, like, the layer of depth of, like, oh, this is Bendis's take. This is going to be a chatty Superman. I totally agree. This is going to be Bendis doing this character. And what this book really displays to me is he's potentially been reading DC comics for the whole time. It's so respectful. It's respectful. It's really has deep beats. Like it feels like he's doing the Donny Cates of DC. Like he, it, it is very aware of the DC universe in a way. It feels like he's been at DC for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and to me, it no longer feels like this is Bendis's take on this thing. It just feels like a really good version of there's, there's less of a gimmicky factor to it. And it, it to me, Bendis has always felt pretty like you're buying into the fact that you get that quirky, fast-witted dialogue thing. And I like that if it's done well. If not, it's my least favorite thing in comics. Yeah, no, um, I – and, you, yeah, you, you've said that. Like you don't like uh, like a chatty. No. Yeah, and, and I, I respect that very much. And I, once again, Justin, no surprise, I absolutely agree with you. Um, <laughs> it's it's At first it was sort of like – capitalizing on the brand of Bendis. Everybody, look at it. Bendis is going to do this thing. Come because of Bendis. And his attitude has been, I'm going to be second to DC Comics. Mm-hmm. And he's elevating DC Comics. And it, it doesn't feel as much like Bendis as much it feels like one of DC's best writers writing a DC book. That's yeah. how it feels, not necessarily like Bendis. No, it's just, a yeah, it's very respectful and it's very like, while it's very Bendis, it's not just a Bendis book. Like he's doing, he's there's a story to be told without just selling. There's less of a sales pitch and more of an, a genuine story to be told, and you can feel that in the comic. And I think that it uh, really, this to me has added uh, a whole new level to my perception of his skill as a writer. I really like how he's able to kind of take Superman and Clark, and. There's there's kind of a fine balance between being confident and being cocky, and Superman deserves to be cocky, but he's too much of a nice guy to do that. And so not only in the things that he says, but in the ways that he acts, he shows like inf- an infinite amount of confidence because he's fucking Superman, but also kind of uh, an amount of empathy and uh, 
humbleness that lets him kind of let people make the assumptions that he wants them to as he, as he's talking to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it yeah, does. I, agree. Um, I want to talk for just the same Orion Sook's art, which is gorgeous, but uh, he did a cutaway from the top. Yeah, he did, which is amazing. <laughs> like he sees through levels and levels of a building. I don't necessarily understand what those infographics mean. It's what it's what he's hearing. He's hearing What's this guy's heart rate mean? and his pulse. I don't know. That guy's pissed, and she's thinking about the flash. I guess he can't hear. It what almost thinking about. Like, is he? Some of it seems like it's thought bubbles yeah. that he's seeing. I was like, I don't get it. But Ryan Suit colored his own art here. He did all art. Wow. And. Uh, in the last couple of issues, Superman's been fighting this red dust woman that we learned is the uh, reporter at the Daily Planet. Last issue, we learned that. But the battle sequences of he and her are, like, the the framing is amazing. There's lots of images of him moving around in a single panel. And this sort of red smoke juxtaposed with Superman's costume is gorgeous. But then we get this moment of Superman once again trying to be like, hey... You're in, like, are you in trouble? Like, please, other people have been in trouble. I'm giving you the chance. Just stop doing this. Stop I will help you. Yeah. And, yeah. Sh- and she's like, no, how about you die? He's like, you have an amazing gift. You're stuck in the middle of something. It happens. I'll help get you out of it. You can turn this around. I know you can. To, uh, to, to be able to effectively demonstrate Superman's compassion like that uh, is it, it, balanced with his confidence like you were talking about. Is is just yeah I don't know I I hope masterful doesn't seem like a cliche thing to say but it, it's it's just like Superman has been gone from comics for a very long time yeah and I feel like he's finally back and the reveal sure. at the end of the issue so oh, cool yeah that's what sold me on the issue like sure. I liked the whole that thing and I got to that I'm like oh fuck yeah so there was a there was a Superman special or something that had somebody buying this car at some point was that written by him or was that the? That was within the last. Was that Jeff was that Jans the, doing Tom the Russell runabout one? Or Mark Russell. Mark Russell. Yeah, it was. It was in that same issue that that was in that had a bunch of short stories in it. And that was Mark Russell's story of the Action guy One Thousand. We're fixing oh, it up. Oh, it was Action One Thousand. Yeah, and it was. I thought that was Jeff Johns doing the story about the car. I think like it the was the origin of the so. car. Yeah. Jeff Jans. Jeff Jans. Jeff Jans. Well, I don't know. I liked seeing it. Yeah, I love that it's come up twice in the last like year or so. Like, uh, how is this car that iconic within the with, continuity with, without Superman? Even yeah, like you can look at this car and you know, oh, that's the one Superman smashed. I would but love. I, sorry. Oh, I just like what does it mean for the larger story that they bought the Daily Planet and they have the thing that Superman first showed up in? Like, and that's what I was gonna say. Is I would love for the time that this car was smashed to be the first time that. Metropolis became aware of Superman to sort of mirror the fact mm-hmm. that it's the first issue of Superman. Like that, that yeah. kind of parallel would be really cool. So we've got Detective Comics 1000 coming up. This is a little bit after Superman or Action Comics 1000. And right now, both of them seem to be stories about people who know a whole lot about the superhero's past. Yeah. There seems to be some reoccurring trends with comics. And I kind of, hopefully, they don't go too deep into this because I like the like pulling old stuff out with the by using the mechanic that someone knows about their history. Right. And that adds to the whole time. Like, it's a plot device. Like, oh, let's have this person know a bunch about this person, and we can start using stuff from old things. It's so, an easy way to sort of take a look at the legacy of a thing. Yeah, and I, I really, personally, it makes me feel like I've been, that I haven't missed Superman in a really long time. And I've said before, he's personally one of my favorite characters, but the hardest one to use, you know. And so... And with Batman, it makes me, I've been kind of out of superhero comics for a while, you know, and kind of getting back into it. It makes me really feel connected. And, like, I haven't had that moment where I was like, bleh, it's all just the same stuff being rehashed. Even though they're rehashed, like, they're taking old elements. It just makes me feel like there's a more continuity. I don't know. I feel like DC is the best it's been in a very long time. I totally agree. Like, I think since the start of Rebirth, we've seen a a rebirth. I'm going to go 9.5. And only just because... I'm going to give it in my brain. It's got to be a little bit lower than heroes, but uh, in crisis, but uh, I am like, so I was so jacked to talk about these two issues because it's the most excited and joyous about comic book reading. I've been in quite a while for these two books this week. I was real hype on them. I'm going to give it a nine. I really liked it. 
I'm gonna give it an 8.5 because I'm still finding my Bendis groove, still trying to get how his dialogue works and build a voice that isn't just super back and forth witty. And Short bald guy. I do have one complaint: is I don't think that Talia Al Ghul would ever hook up with Jimmy Olsen. She is a world swallowing death queen and. She only wanted Batman because he's the pinnacle of humanity. He's like this figure of status for her, this challenge. And in, in off, he's like, I shouldn't have hooked up with Talia Al Ghul. Jimmy Olsen says that in there. And I'm like, yeah, why what, would How she does he ev- word it? Because like, and that's why I think sleeping with Talia Al Ghul was a huge mistake. But everyone is saying, so I wonder, is he saying that I hooked up with her? Or is he talking about? Batman having hooked up with her or Superman, he's saying like that's why I think hooking up with her is a mistake. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. On my second read through, because knowing that the the glyph at the end says Leviathan strikes is the the upcoming thing. Well, I, I was and there's the note that says Talia Al Ghul called nine fifteen. She called yeah. two times. She called at nine fifteen and ten fifteen. Yeah, is that when her he throws calling the oh, notes up? Call Mrs. Al Ghul. Yeah, is that Jimmy, like, hurt? She's calling him because she's pissed about Or she would do it to use him because he's close yeah. to Clark. That's, or, that's a better... Or is he using sleeping with her uh, as a metaphor for just her buying the paper? Okay. Like, they're getting in bed with Talia. Okay, I can yeah. see that. Right, yeah. if, if she's behind Leviathan, which... Who knows? She is. She has to be. That has to be the that, same Leviathan. Yeah, it's yeah, the it same be, Leviathan. Yeah, yeah. In, in which fact, I really love. That Leviathan was mentioned in Sleeper also, and Talia played a big role in that. Really? Like, Brubaker's Sleeper? No, the new Sleeper, Silencer. Silencer, oh, not okay. Sleeper. Uh, yeah. That, I love that, that organization. Yeah. But that she was a big part. Like, she showed up and tried to recruit Silencer to be back in the club. I'll read Batman Incorporated again if you read Batman Incorporated oh, I, again. I want to go back with, like, an improved understanding of astrology because that whole thing has so many like star myths in it mm. and you know the demon's head is a real constellation and Ras al Ghul is like an actual Arabic name for a constellation and mm. I just like so all of that stuff is a reference to actual astrological events and I want to go back and read that. And... Oh I'll read Batman Incorporated again if you guys will read Silencer. Oh Wolverine the Long Night by Benjamin Percy and Mariso Takara. I liked it. The end. This seemed denser and harder to get through to me than Conan, only because it was wordy. <laughs> and what's worth mentioning is that this is based on a Marvel-produced podcast radio drama about yeah. Wolverine. That apparently they charged for at some point, but now it's free. Well, podcasts should be free. Yeah, that's the point. I don't know. I mean, if you have a premium podcast and you want to try that business model, go for it. But I'm not going to listen. Uh, we've got a new thing we want to yeah. pitch at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sponsored you, by us. you get what uh, when we listen to iFanboy. There's there's stuff that you can't hear unless you're a sponsor. Yeah, I have some Patreon like yeah. level. Shit. I wouldn't know. I have a lot of Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a kind of a whodunit mystery uh, in, set in Alaska. A couple of FBI agents are trying to solve who killed a whole bunch of people on a crabbing boat. And uh, spoiler alert, it was Logan. I liked all the character work. I liked the kind of the police procedural when Wolverine finally shows up like 25 pages into the story. It's just his back. And, of course, you know it's him because he's got those uh, wings for hair. I love his mm-hmm. hair. And love he's, his hair. he's wearing his good old fuzzy fuzzy collar. And, gosh, I don't know why Logan doesn't just work on boats all the time. <laughs> he would be so man already good is. at it. <laughs> Does he? Did he actually just kill a bunch of people on a boat, or is there some kind of conflict that you're figuring out? Uh, Sabretooth, like, no, these are my crabs. I'm hungry. I'm gonna make crabs in my birthday cake. And he's like, you never get a birthday cake, brother. And they they fight over that. <laughs> we haven't seen That's him the actually pitch for my kill new book. anybody. Okay. Everybody who's dead has giant like three claw marks across their faces and shit. But uh, he does. There's there's a guy who gets his arm caught in a crab trap and pulled overboard, and Wolverine jumps in. And saves the dude by cutting his arm off and throwing him back onto the boat from the water. And that guy's super pissed. And Wolverine just jumps off jumps off the boat and disappears. So we don't really know who, who the killer is. But I don't know. It's, it's like it's a little bit true detective, a little bit uh, insomnia, and a little bit law and order. Like it's, it's a lot of things that I either like or kind of like. And uh, – <laughs> I, 
I, I think if you reset your expectations from superhero book to police procedural book, I think I think it's really good. While I was reading it, I was thinking, would I like this as a podcast? And I came to the opposite conclusion. Really? That they would need some amazing voice actors for me not to think this is hokey and I want to turn it off right now. That said, now that I know it's free, I'm going to give it a shot. I'll try it. I can only listen to so many uh, podcasts about the comic book industry. I might as well listen to a podcast set in the comic book world. I give, give this it? a seven and a half. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think uh, it's no Brew Baker, but it's it it scratched that itch for me this week. Um, did you read Marvel Knights number five? I did did you? I did. Did you, Justin? No, I haven't read it since number one. Oh God, you number, read the worst one. Number one didn't really grab me. Can I tell yeah. you something, Justin? Yeah, I haven't read it since number two. But I thought I could probably get it. Yeah, you didn't miss much. Yeah, except for the, the there was like they're juggling artists, which is mm-hmm. always a thing that kind of freaks me out. Um, and this artist is the one who did issue number two, if I'm correct. And issue two had really awesome art. And, yeah, and I, this art is very very cool. I think if you flip through it, I gave it a flipping, and it looked better. Yeah, even kinda, though the cover art is not my jam. Kind of grimy and weird uh, mm-hmm. art style. It's kind of liney. The the cover art is not super super great. So I guess we're just sort of following up on this, like the main characters that existed in Marvel Knight stories. When did that when did that happen? Early two thousand. Okay. Ish. So like Daredevil, Black Panther, Punisher, Elektra, Kingpin. Uh, and that was the Marvel Knights was their grown up, like adult oriented series, right? Yeah. Like, but they then were, they then they branched out and did a Spider Man one, right? Because they did maybe. like in a Wolverine one. Because was, Dar- was Spider Man Rain? No, it, it was just called Marvel Knights Spider Man. Okay. I remember being in the shop and someone selling it to me because they're like, "Oh, it's Marvel's Knights. You're gonna really like it." And I ended up really not liking it because they did something with Venom that, like, I had my first moment of nerd rage to that book. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Ah!" Yeah, the the plot doesn't really progress very fast with these books, um, but I I like what they're doing with the the character interactions and. Uh, this one had a really good scene between Kingpin and um, Doom. That was my favorite. And I really liked how Bruce Banner kept getting used as sort of a weapon. But I don't think we've even seen him as Hulk. He just seems to Hulk out, fuck some shit up. Okay, at the very end. But he seems to like Hulk, Hulk out, fuck shit up. And then by the time the camera gets back to him, he's Bruce Banner. He's mm-hmm. like, whoa, dude, what just happened, guys? Yeah. Uh, and I really like that, that gag throughout the, the book. Yeah, I uh, I like that I could read one and two and then dip into five and still know what's going on. As a reader, I don't know if like a maybe story appreciator, if that speaks super, super highly to the run. But I do think, I think that this whole thing is going to depend on the end. Like, what yeah. is this about? Because basically it's all these characters who have forgotten their past. We don't really even know what reality they're in. And we don't know why they've forgotten their past. In this issue, spoilers, we find out that the heroes are the reason they've forgotten their past. But we don't, again, know why that is or what the the extent of memory loss is. But we know that they are the ones who erased the world. Yeah, so like if we're ending the Marvel Knights universe or if we're rebirthing it or if this is a... The end, the next issue has, like, the cover, and they're all pointing out, like, at us, the reader. So I don't know if it's, like, a fourth wall-breaking thing. But, uh... You're just dying for some fourth wall-breaking. I just am dying for when a book Jeff is... likes a meta. I do. I love a meta. All that being said, I would give it uh, a 7 to a 7.5, a lot of it for the art. I'd give it a 7 also, uh... If for nothing else, then the scene where Kingpin kills Doom. Kills. Throws I Doom did, off I the roof. I flipped that and I was like, no. Kingpin, King, Kingpin's a lot of things. He don't He don't even come close to Doom in my life. Marvel Knights Doom, bro. Like, Doom can't stop falling. 
<laughs> like he, he yeah. drops him off of a building. Like and Doom fat. can hover or fly or magic or something. Yeah, fat doesn't beat magic or lasers. <laughs> <laughs> it's muscle. Like fat in muscle. Listen, it's muscle. Kingpin gets a lot away. Gets away with a lot for just being a big guy. Mm. You know, like Daredevil has trained from like super death ninjas for years. He's got a type of superpower. Spider Man has super strength, and you know Kingpin gets away with a lot. Doom shoots lasers from his hands. Yeah, and does like crazy dark magic. Yeah, he, like, destroys continents if he wants to. Yeah. So Daredevil's costume's all red. Just there's not another bit of <laughs> color on that costume. I gotta say, I love a good a red. good Daredevil just, yeah, red, pretty <laughs> well, much. Well, the Flash, too. And the Two devil. of the best comics in yeah. comics. Yeah. Uh, so flipping through that book, I give it a, a seven, just based off the red of Daredevil's <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out there. That's how I judge all my comics. Come Django, you've got one more book to talk about. What is it? It's unnatural. It's unnatural number six. I've been digging this. Sam's been reading all of this. I've been liking this series a lot. It It's written by an Italian woman, and the story doesn't feel like what you normally expect from a story. Like, they the, the setup went one way, and then the story went a very non-expected way, which um, I think is probably because she's not American and not writing American comics for the most part. Um, it's it's turned into kind of a conspiracy theory with some weird, like, fatalistic dream lovers and, uh, like, cults who are trying to, trying to trick... This uh, this pig into sleeping with the wolf and other people who don't want her to and like I don't know lots of lots of big big government agency bad guys and it's bonkers it's super naughty and sexy and <laughs> yeah, uh, looking at that it's not what I think I've ever seen in a comic before yeah it's I I don't know it's it's really kind of stands on its own. In, in a sea of books that I've already read when I read them for the first time. Uh, I don't think it's for everybody. I don't even know if it's that good. It's just very unexpected, and uh, the, the art is great, and the, the I, I like the world that they're in. Um, and she's writing and drawing it, and I yeah. really like yeah. the first couple issues which I read, and, and Sam's been reading and really liking it. And she also, like, she worked on, she, she drew Harley Quinn, Wonder Woman, and DC Bombshells. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I like it. She's doing the art in a new upcoming book. I forget what it is right now, but she's a pretty awesome creator. Yeah, that sounds. Writes and draws her own thing and is going to be doing art in a new thing. And, yeah. And her painted stuff on some of these covers is just outstanding. The interior art is almost verging on manga, which doesn't usually do it for me, but there's, uh, I don't know. There's there's just a, a certain element to the whole thing that that I really dig. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't expect Django to be reading a, this comic if I were to. He reads a lot of comics. Yeah, I, he does. If it's coming out, he'll check it out. Yeah. I don't make it three issues into books that I that I think I like, but I'm yeah. six issues in on this and I haven't missed a single one. Didn't you finish Snowblind? <laughs> Listen, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe <laughs> oh, I wait. did. Wait, no. Snowblind was great. I think you mean Frostbite. Yeah, Frostbite. Yeah, Frostbite. Sorry, yeah. Frostbite. And, yes. Uh, call I back to episode Frostbite. number one of the Perfectly Acceptable podcast. Snowblind has Tyler Jenkins drawing it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Frostbite. Mad Max with snow. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. <laughs> so, like, that's probably all we got, right? Anybody else got anything else? I'm throwing in the towel. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's a late night. We worked early. I didn't get a chance to read a whole lot of books but the books that I read I loved I loved the books that I read it was really nice to have one one week with not very many books last week last week had Ten I don't know, I think I, I brought home two or three books yeah. to read and uh it was nice to have that little break and and to come back to a whole bunch of really strong books even walking dead this this week felt like it had more going on than than a normal Walking Dead issue, and maybe it did. Maybe I was just refreshed. Yeah, check your privilege, but also, like, reading a lot of comic books can 
can uh, burn you out on uh, some types of comic books. So it is really yeah. nice to take a take a break. I think we all really, really needed like two weeks off of just reading the books that we wanted to, and mm-hmm. it was Christmas and it was busy. So uh, yeah, I that's probably contributed to how much I fucking loved the comics this week. I've got an idea. What's that? Three podcasts a month? You might cut this out. Yeah. But what if we had a day every once in a while where you could come into the store and take any reasonable comics you want upstairs and read them? As an employer? Or nope. Like a li- nope. Public. So we actually turn this place into a, a library for a day. Well, I've... I. Yeah, I mean, I really like that idea. Come I've, in I've jammies too, like a like. Remember, bring your own book to school day or whatever. Yeah, really? I remember yeah. those. But I mean, I've suggested like having a bunch of number ones available upstairs, like yeah. preacher paperbacks, like just oh, go yeah. and read some books up. And we even started collecting those at some point. Yeah. We've kind of experimented with librarying them out to people. But I mean, like, come in on this Thursday. Anytime on Thursday, pick any books off the shelf that you want and take them upstairs to the army of beanbags that we have set up. Read them. Fart in the beanbags. Okay, okay, bean okay. Bags. Let's leave this in the podcast and we'll just track it as a developing thing over a month. So what if instead of Thursday, it was like Sunday or Monday? What about sure. Wednesday afternoon Just from so that like to 5? You're limited by what's left. Uh-huh. And you've probably bought what you were excited to buy, so you're not reading. You're like you're not just reading the things instead of buying them. I would hope that people wouldn't just grab stuff off the new shelf. I would hope that people would grab trade paperbacks that they want to read, or pull some uh, older issues from the back stock, like the the recent back issues, to try a number one that's got five issues out after that. We've talked about it for a good long time. Yeah. I would love to have like a reading room upstairs if we had the beanbag and some chairs. Mm-hmm. It's no longer a podcast studio, so we could do that. Yeah. I don't think we want to do it every every day or every week or anything. But no, I think, but I think one day like, a hey, week. Hey, come in and check out this stuff. God. And then people could maybe meet other people who like comic books, and they would be reading things. It would be like a comic club at the store, and you could read some comics for free. Mm-hmm. I really like it. Let's meditate on that. Let's meditate on it and leave it in the podcast and so listeners can give us their feedback on it. And give us shit when we forget about it. Forget How would they give it? us feedback, though? They Oh, what? What a fucking good segue, Justin Cassad. If you wanted to give us feedback on that idea, this podcast, call in with a message, a voicemail, send us a text, an email. You can get us on the phone and you won't talk to us. You'll talk to a voicemail machine um, that we'll answer on the podcast at one six one nine. 663-7336. We would love, love, love for you to do that. Um, you can also write a text and uh, put it as an email. Uh, you could email us or any way that you want to get text, email is probably a good way to do it. But info at thecomicsplace.com. Um, thanks to Nick Waite for letting us use his intro music for the podcast. And goodness gracious, I think on that sort of golden goose egg that Django laid um, we uh, probably sign it out I'm Jeff I'm Jeff I'm Django keep telling truths I'm Justin and I'm Rusty isn't that what it says on my voicemail machine (laughs) 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 it's I'm stealing bits you're stealing like my idea for the reading room you bitch I wasn't stealing that. You are that. totally Freddy of the Scooby-Doo gang, man. Yeah, you're just like the fucking guy. Other people say shit, and you're like, you guys, I moved I got a this plan. thing. And you're like, fuck you. Call me Trump. I will never, because I like you a oh, lot. Oh, God, thank God. See you next week. I'm leaving that in. I'm not. <laughs> you're totally Freddy of the Scooby-Doo gang. Hey, guys, I got a plan. After Velma just discloses a very good plan.